You know, Matt, as we start this, I, it'd be interesting if we started our podcast the way. If, if you've ever listened to the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast, um, one, you should. It's excellent. Um, but they always start, you know, they, they just start it with like just general conversation before they even intro anything. Kind of like their show, I guess, is mimicking that in a way. Hi, Matt. We're here tonight for Roar Lions Roar. Um, I'm your host, I'm Nick Pollock, and I'm joined by Matt DeBear. Matt, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I in, in the like 10 seconds before we hit record, um, keen observers will notice that the green wall that is usually behind me is gone because, um, of course, it is Michigan State week. And with rotating myself in my, my home office, the TV in the office is now visible. And I figured out how to get a Penn State logo on there. So I'm very, feeling very accomplished, um, especially on the day, the day before Thanksgiving when we're recording this, where my brain power is at an all-time low. Yes, this is truly... You know, truly a a technological innovation for the ages. Matt being able to get a uh, a logo on his television—that's the kind of stuff they write. You know, they write stories about that. That's incredible. I'm going to write a story about it. If only we had a website we could publish it on. You know, on on the subject of you know visual things, I, as I start recording this, I'm a little worried. I think I've worn the same exact hat and sweatshirt for the last three or four podcasts that we've recorded. So I'm gonna have to go back and check that. I I might need to switch it up next time. Um, Definitely the but hat. Hi, That's a, a returning guest. The hat is all yeah. yeah. The general rule: if I have showered that morning. I won't wear a hat. If I haven't showered this day yet, then I'm wearing the hat. Or or if I I mean no, that's pretty much the general rule. I do love this hat though. Um I was hoping to um my wife's been bugging me for ideas for Christmas gifts and I really want the block S hat that the coaching staff has been wearing lately, but there are very few sizes of it available online right now, so I guess I'm just sticking with the Rainier's hat for now but that's okay hi everyone we're here to talk about a football game um but actually you know matt before we dive into the penn state michigan state matchup to end the regular season here first i wanted to take a second and talk about the college football playoff rankings now we don't need to go through all of them obviously there's you know not all that much interesting happening at the top um but of course penn state stayed at number 11 this week same place they were last week um I think the main things that people were talking about as a result of those rankings, as far as um, Penn State is concerned, one is that Tennessee remained ahead of them. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Do you agree that they should still be ahead? Um, I'll, I'll let you go first, and then I'll chime in. I think just on the basis of success, you know, in big wins, you know, they've got the win over Alabama, they've got the win over LSU. Um, I was having this conversation with some folks last night that despite the the moving target that the college football playoff committee is as far as trying to figure out what's important from week to week, because it is, it's, you know, they, they decide whatever is going to be important that week to justify whatever ranking they want to put out. Right. Um, but really since the advent of the playoff and the committee and everything, big wins have always been seemed to outweigh somewhat consistently um, bad losses or um just the lack of big wins, which I think is really what it comes down to for Penn State versus Tennessee, is they've got those two wins. Penn State's best win is probably Purdue or Minnesota, neither of whom is ranked. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously they played the, the close game against Ohio State, um, got nuked by Michigan. Um, I think that's really all it comes down to is um, at this point in time, you know, obviously there's one more data point this weekend with um, Penn State, Michigan State, and Tennessee playing Vanderbilt. Um, I'm I'm curious to see with a full game without Hendon Hooker, who's obviously out for the season now with the torn ACL, um, if depending on how Tennessee performs against the Vanderbilt team that's playing pretty well, one two straight for the first time in probably since James Franklin's been there in the SEC, um, I'm curious to see you know what that may or may not do um, to that specific conversation going forward. I very much agree that. You know, Tennessee's best two wins, obviously, like you said, they're miles ahead of anything Penn State's done. Like, Penn State doesn't really have a, a great win this year. It's just how the schedule laid out for them. But I think my only qualm is that, um, like you said, it's typically been more about the big wins for the committee. But in my opinion, more than anything else, it seems to me like they're, they really, you know, obviously, like you said, the target moves, the justification changes, but more often than not, it seems like their primary goal has been to get the teams, 
like in the best form for a lot to use a soccer term now that the world cup is going on, uh, which team's in better form at the time. And to me, that's the only, like when I look at these rankings, like ostensibly, right? Like these are a list of rankings of teams in terms of who they think is most likely to win the college football playoff. Even when you get out outside of the top four, obviously only those top four matter, but ostensibly the rest of the rankings reflect that. Like they think who is ever what, uh, whoever's at like 24 is the 24th most likely team to win a playoff. So my only question is like, like, can you really say that Tennessee is more likely to win a college football playoff right now than Penn State without Hendon Hooker? Like, the only thing Tennessee can do or could do is score. And now you're losing your quarterback. Like, what are the chances they're going to be able to continue doing that effectively? They'll probably still be able to do enough to beat Vanderbilt. I assume I know Vanderbilt's playing well, but they're still Vanderbilt. Like, there's just not a ton of talent there. Maybe like a big Penn State win this week is enough to make the committee say, ah, and if Tennessee, even if they win, if they look less impressive doing so, maybe that's enough for the committee to be like, ah, you know, Penn State probably does go ahead. But that's the only thing for me. It's like it, if that's what the rankings are, most likely when a playoff, how can you say that the team that doesn't have the one thing that it did well can be ahead of them? But that's just me. Uh, other interesting things here, you know, I know Oregon jumped ahead of Penn State. Um, Flip-flopped with Utah. I believe Utah was at 10 last week, and now Oregon's up at number nine. Uh, Tennessee dropped down to 10, um, which, you know, whatever. I Either Oregon. I think the loser of... Is, is an Oregon-USC Pac-12 championship locked in now? I don't think so. I think a couple of things that are very likely to happen this weekend have to happen, but um, I, I believe know Oregon's, as long as... Oregon as Oregon State, obviously, they got Civil War. And Oregon State's yeah. not bad. I believe USC has clinched their spot. I'm. I would have to imagine. Okay. I, as you can imagine, out here in in the the frozen, well, not that frozen at the moment, Midwest, um, we we don't we don't get a lot of Pac-12 specifics, <laughs> and I, I don't stay up nearly as late as I used to watching those games on Saturday. But I believe SC has clinched their spot, and I believe with a win against Oregon State in the the former Civil War, Oregon clinches their spot. Right. Actually, no, that makes sense, right? Because Washington just beat Oregon. So Washington probably still does have technically a shot to get that if Oregon State wins. Although I don't know that Washington's going to beat Washington State. Washington State's been playing really well. So we'll see there. Uh, go Cougs. But I think either way, if it is Oregon, um, USC, I don't think it's unfair to say that the loser of that game could drop below. I mean, Oregon obviously definitely would. I don't think it's unfair to say that USC might drop below Penn State in that case because, I mean, USC is what? They have one loss, um, and even then, they're behind LSU. Like, they're still at six. Like, I don't think they're getting... I I, kind of think their spot is just a function of their record at this point. Like, I I don't really get a sense that the committee really wants to have them that high. Maybe that's just me, but... um, just another interesting, I guess. And then quick one. Do you think LSU at five is the right move? I, I think it's kind of irrelevant. You know, they've, they've got, you know, like we were talking about with Tennessee, they've got the good wins. Um, even in that loss to Florida state to start the year, as ridiculous as it was to watch <laughs> um, Florida state's playing as well as just about anyone in the country at the moment. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that loss is certainly not a bad loss. And um, I'm blanking on who the other one was too, but <laughs> they lost um, to uh didn't they lose to Tennessee? Yes, thank you. They got yeah. nuked by Tennessee yeah. um, in Baton Rouge, I believe. So, um, with Hendon Hooker. So, um, I, I think part of it is you know just semantics. Um, I I will be fascinated if if LSU can somehow. Well, I think you know they should beat Texas A and M this weekend. But if they but get through boy, Texas would it A&M, be funny if they didn't? <laughs> oh, it'd be. I can't think of the right adjective, but it would be very funny. Um, <laughs> And then what would be even funnier is that they somehow go on after that and beat Georgia, despite yeah. you know having you know picked up that third loss that would certainly eliminate them. But um, no, I, I think when you look at quality of wins and and really even quality of losses, you know they have a ridiculous one point loss to start the year to a pretty good team, which turned out to be a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, and the, then the the uh, Tennessee loss, um, I don't know. It's I. I like I was saying, I, I feel like from any week to week, you end up with um, different justifications. Um, I mean, I think you could probably put USC ahead of them, you know, just if you're really get arguing, you know, the, that level of, of semantics. Yeah. Um, but are you going to put Alabama ahead of them? No. Are you going to put 
Clemson ahead of them. I don't think you can. You know. Right. That that's the thing, right? Like I objectively, do I think LSU is the fifth best team in the country? No, but there's no good reason to, I guess USC has an argument, but there's no good reason to put anybody else ahead of them right now. And it also, you know, it gives the committee another, like, like if LSU did find a way to beat Georgia somehow, it gives them a really good reason to continue to keep Georgia in the top four, no matter what. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, yeah, I, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit too, during the season that outside of probably the top three teams, Georgia, Ohio state and Michigan at this point, four through 12 through 14 kind of feel a little interchangeable. You know, it's obviously within that group. Some teams are better than others, but if I told you right now, you know, Penn state's going to play TCU in a fictitious first round playoff game, just for example, Mm -hmm. you know, I think both you and I would agree. That's probably a pretty good game. Um, And TCU is deservedly the fourth ranked team in the rankings at the moment. So um that that four through twelve, we'll just say for the sake of argument, all feels a little flexible. You know, you can you can make a case for any team within that grouping to be ranked just about anywhere. I think. Yeah, and then as far as you know, Penn uh, Penn State fans rooting interest um, in order to get Penn State to a New Year's Six bowl game. I think you know, unfortunately, you look like Alabama. I think the for me the biggest toss up between in the rankings, like I I don't like Penn State and Alabama is a really interesting. Um, comparison unfortunately Alabama is not going to move because they're not going to lose to Auburn I'm sorry I'm I mean I tell you, they could lose to Auburn but they're probably not going to lose to Auburn so they're not going to move I, I think you just kind of have to you know you have to root for chaos in the Pac-12 I think you want you want things to hold serve in the SEC you want Georgia to cruise to their championship you want the uh you want the game to be close I think because obviously I, for me I know I'm still on team Rose Bowl so I'm still on team put Michigan and Ohio State in as painful as that would be at the time, but you know it's it, we'll have plenty to discuss regarding the playoff um, in the coming coming week, um, and you know after championship games um, finish up and all that stuff. So for now, Matt, let's talk about the actual Penn State football game this weekend, and that is the of course clash of the titans between the Nittany Lions and the Michigan State Spartans. Right now it is an 18.5 spread in favor of the home team that is Penn State here. SP Plus has this as a Penn State 41 to 17 victory, so that is actually even more than the spread is concerned. And Penn State has been really good against the spread this year. I believe they are now they've only they only have not covered twice this year. Um, Michigan and then Northwestern are the only times they failed to cover, I believe. Um, so they've been really good in that regard. So not a bad idea to bet Penn State here. Um, so we'll we'll break down, you know, the the two sides of the ball here, go into a little bit more detail. But Matt, what are your just initial thoughts about this game right off the top? Um, and maybe this is a little myopic given the um the state of the two programs at the moment, but um I have very strong 2016 Penn State Michigan State vibes. Mm. Um, if you remember that game, it was I think Penn State was actually was trailing by a field goal or so at halftime. Um, but it feels like two programs kind of going in, in in very opposite directions as I spill my water all over the, the place. Um, <laughs> and just to add to it, your logo has now disappeared in the back too. So no, you're, it, it is you're not, all it is over. Now the land grant trophy. I'm, oh, I'm all excellent. over the place. Excellent. Um, but actually, I I need to clean this up, otherwise my floor is going to soak through. So you 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 go do that. Yeah, you go do that. We can <laughs> we can pause this and we'll be right back, listeners. <laughs> Hello, we are back. The mess has been cleaned. Full disclosure: this is the second time we restarted this because the first time the everything froze. So we're off to a really great start over here. Is everything all good now, Matt? It, it seems to be. Um, okay. My my water is is not within like arm's reach. You know, so if you see me turn dra- you know, dramatically away. Um, and just to grab a drink of water. Um, but you know, the faithful listeners are aware that I'm in a new home and I wasn't too keen on damaging floors or walls sure, or sure. furniture or anything like that, but it did allow me to, to update the, the graphic behind me. If you're watching this on YouTube to a, a, a better edition of the land grant trophy. Yes. Yes. It looks, it looks wonderful. Um, <laughs> God. All right, Matt, before, and speaking of which, I just inadvertently said we're off to a good start, which now I, I have, I have plans to probably over the football off season, make some sort of like theme song or intro or something for this. And it's definitely going to include the Bill O'Brien. 
off to a great start for sure. So I need to, I need to remember that. Um, Matt, before we dive into the specifics of this football game that we are talking about, um, let's really quickly talk about our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Um, you've heard us talk about Homefield before. You know how I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably have some of their stuff already. But you know how great it is. You know how soft it is. You know how unique and special all of their products are. And right now, until uh, November 27th, which I believe is. Uh, Sunday? Sunday, yes. Yeah. Um, until November 27th, they have their Black Friday sale active on the site right now. And that is using the code Black Friday, all caps, all one word at checkout for 20% off of your order, whether it is your first time visiting the site or not. This is the biggest discount they offer all year. Full disclosure, there will be another similar one directly following the 27th that is more, you know, holiday themed that will still be 20% off. So you do have time here. Um, but this is, you know, this time of year is the biggest, biggest discount they offer all year. And of course, this is the only one that is always good, um, no matter if it's your first time ordering or not. So, you know, we still have our Roar Lions Roar code that's good all year round for 15% off for your first order, but definitely take advantage of this opportunity now to get 20% off. Um, as always, you know, Homefield makes the best stuff, best designs. They go in the yearbooks, they find all those all those really great uh, material. We actually, one of our buddies, his mom dug up the, it was a poster, right? That had all the different, um, if you've seen their hockey and um, uh, wrestling shirts, it has this like Nittany Lion cartoon playing hockey and then wrestling. And uh, one of our buddies found the poster that has other stuff. Like there's a basketball one, there's a golf one, there's a baseball one. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I would buy just anyone in licensing at Penn State, anyone at home field listening to this, I would buy those shirts yeah. probably all oh, yeah. of them. Yeah, I the so like I have the wrestling one. The wrestling one's fantastic. Um, but if they made that basketball one and that baseball one and that golf one, I would buy those instantly. Instantly. No hesitation. They're beautiful. Oh, the, um, the baseball one, you would buy two. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, as a as a former faithful Penn State baseball season ticket holder, I would happily happily buy that several cop give me that t- give me that shirt give it to me on a sweatshirt give it to me on a crew neck i'll buy them all i'll buy them all um so once again use that code black friday all caps all one word at checkout for 20 percent off whether it's your first order second order or a hundredth order that's Homefield apparel take advantage sale ends on november 27th let's talk about this football game again. Let's talk about Penn State's offense against Michigan State's defense first, because you know the Penn State offense is well. No, that's not fair because the defense has been playing outstanding too. But you know the offense has really, really found its stride. Um, really, ever since the conclusion of the Michigan game, the Penn State offense has been playing at a really high level, um, especially on the ground. They've just they've really seemed to figure things out. Mike Yersich has has that unit rolling. Um, and, you know, Michigan State currently allowing 417.1 yards per game to its opponents. Um, they are you know, on the year as average. They are being outscored by their opponents their last five games. They lost last week 39-31 in double over double overtime to Indiana. They beat Rutgers 27-21. They beat Illinois, shockingly, 23-15. Lost to Michigan 29-7 and beat Wisconsin 34-28. Of course, if you notice in there, those last two games, that includes... 39 points allowed to Indiana and 21 points allowed to Rutgers, two teams that we have very recently seen Penn State just absolutely whoop. This does not feel like a fun matchup for the Spartans. Do you agree? Yeah, and I, I before the 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 incident um, <laughs> a couple of minutes ago, um, I think it's it's two feels like two teams going in, in vastly different directions. Um, you've got. Yeah. Penn State, who has really, I think, found themselves um, from an identity standpoint on both sides of the ball. Um, and, you know, it's really, you know, defense, you know, we'll talk a lot about that, I'm sure. But um, the defense is really, I think, you know, you, you see them fully functioning in Manny Diaz's system now, I think. Um, I think that's one of those things that we probably glossed over a little bit too much at the first half of the year is that learning curve, picking up a new defense. I know they talk about the similarities between what Diaz runs versus what Pry runs, but it's different. There's different terminology. They're asking guys to do different things. And you have guys like Abdul Carter that are taking on bigger and bigger roles that are not only learning the defense, but learning, learning college football. And I think you've seen them really um, since, and, and it's, it's aided somewhat by the, the competition certainly, but I think you've really seen them the light bulb go on in the last three or four games from a defensive standpoint 
um, with that attacking, um, dominant, just suffocating level of defense that they've really played. Um, and I think that's really, um, certainly last week against Rutgers was, I think, kind of the driving force of this team. The offense, you know, and, and credit Rutgers, they're a solid defensive team. Um, the defense and special teams is what got Penn State going, I think, kind of sparked them for the, we'll say, the second half of that game. And then you look at Michigan State, who um, has just kind of sputtered here to the finish line. They need this win to get bowl eligible. Um, just today, we learned that seven of their players have been charged in, in, uh, in um, relation to the fight at, at Michigan Stadium against Michigan um, a few weeks ago. Um, it came out, or Mel Tucker said earlier in the week that they have, are once again not practicing or no contact practices because they're just so decimated from a personnel standpoint, both as a result of suspensions from that, I'm sure just like a lot of teams at this time of year, um, just beat up physically. Um, it feels like Penn state is rising towards the end of the season and Michigan state, um, coming off that, that blown lead against Indiana to lose an overtime at home last week. Um, just trying to get to the end of the season here. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious to see, I guess how that plays out. Cause I, I think it's easy to look at that from the outside and kind of see what what's going on, but it's it, you got the weird post Thanksgiving atmosphere. You know, you're going to have a stadium that's you know maybe three quarters full. The students aren't going to be back in mass. Um, it's not, I don't think it's going to be great weather. It doesn't sound like, um, and you've got one team playing for ten wins in the major bowl game while another team. I'm not sure if getting bowl eligible and getting to 500 is quite the motivating factor um, for again, from the outside looking in, it seems like that's, um, you know, this seems like the kind of season that you kind of just want to end. Um, Penn state's been in that position, certainly for the last couple of years um, where you get to the end of the year and there's just not a whole lot of, of major significance to play for. Um, and you've got a team that like Penn state this year that does. Um, I think that's probably the, for me, the biggest story going into the game. Sure. Now, to go to the question I originally asked you then, when Penn State has the ball on offense, it seems like it's... A t- <laughs> it seems like... Not that I don't appreciate your thoughts, I do. Um, but it seems like uh, Michigan State's really struggled against the run, especially the last uh, you know three, four, five weeks. Penn State's rolling on the ground right now with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. It feels like when you consider all the things that you just mentioned, the fact that you know, Michigan State, yeah, playing to get to a bowl game is one thing, but again, like how motivated are you really to get to like the bottom tier bowl game that a big 10 team can play? And like, you're probably headed to either New York or Detroit. Like it's not really that big of a motivating factor really. Um, So it seems like the type of matchup where those two freshmen are going to have the chance to run wild. Yes. <laughs> and I, I had to finish my thought from, from, from the, from the great water spill of 2022. Um, th- this is, this is the ultimate pre Thanksgiving, you know, night before Thanksgiving podcast, I think at this point, but yeah. And, and I think it is, we're, we're both matter. too, we're both too old to really be participating in like Thanksgiving Eve shenanigans out of the bar. So instead oh, we just absolutely. come on a podcast and say silly things. <laughs> and don't pay any attention of, to what the, the, the prompt is. Um, to be fair, yeah, I it, didn't give you the outline this time. This Everyone at home, I did my outline on little pieces of paper this time, trying something new. So, you know, maybe it's my fault. <laughs> it, it is absolutely your fault. I, I am I will 100% agree with that. Um, but, yeah, like you were saying, Nick, the, the, the driving force of the Penn State offense has been the two freshman running backs. Um, and I think what was encouraging to me from out of the Rutgers game is for the first time in a while, they had a little bit of pushback. They weren't able to run the ball very effectively early on. Mm-hmm. And James Franklin talked a little bit about that um, at halftime and then after the game about some of the things Rutgers was doing. And they, but they made that adjustment um, to open up the running game a little bit more. And you saw that take effect in the second half. It wasn't, you know, from a statistical standpoint, you know, the dominant performance that we've seen um, the previous two weeks necessarily but they figured it out. And I think, especially with an offensive line that um, was still missing the starters that we've talked about quite a bit. um, That was really encouraging too. I think to see them face some adversity and, and come through again with against a a relatively good Rutgers defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's something we talked about heading into the Rutgers game was that like for the Rutgers struggles, like they've had a 
good defense. Like they've given up their points, but overall that has been a relatively stout um, defensive team. And yeah, it was really, I uh, I think even beyond impressive, like something that we have not really seen Penn state do over the last two years or so is be able to really adjust offensively. They are, they're always able to adjust defensively, but struggling on offense and then, you know, actually kind of changing the way they attack is not something we've seen them do all that often. So yeah, I totally agree. That was, that's awesome to see and definitely bodes well up against a, like we said, an unmotivated group on the Spartan side of the field. Um, really like it's, it's just like, like, I think that's, I think that's just going to be Penn state's game. Like I think the plan is just going to be let Singleton and Allen run wild, even despite, you know, we know that this still isn't there ideal offensive line um, arrangement. We don't know for sure if Olufushana is going to be back this week. I would assume no at this point. Um, I think if we see he and Joey Porter Jr. on the other side again, it's probably just going to be in the bowl game. But, you know, who knows? We know Landon Tengwall still out for the year. Um, Drew Shelton, I think, had a had a bit of a rougher time against Rutgers than he did in his previous, previous assignments. So it's like it doesn't seem, I think, when you look at the whole picture, it doesn't seem like the ideal time for Penn state just to pound the ball on the ground, but I think that's what they're going to do. I do also think there's going to be a bit of um, like, I think they are going to try to manufacture some things for Sean Clifford to find some, find some easy success in his final game um, as in any line, which is something we'll talk about um, just slightly more at the end here. As I added to my handwritten outline here, Sean Clifford, um, so I, I think that's probably something to watch for as well, but um, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. The other side of the ball, Matt, when Penn State is on defense, you did touch on it a little bit already. Um, Michigan's offense just has not really done a whole lot this year. Like Peyton Thorne seems to have taken a step back. Jalen Berger, transfer from Wisconsin, is fine. It's not really anything all that special. Um Jaden Reed remains a good receiver um, along with uh, what's the, their other receiver is Coleman. Um, Coleman. Yeah. Um, like they're fine. It, it's just not all that impressive of a unit. It reminds me a lot of the 2020 and 2021 Penn state offenses, you know, obviously different, different issues, but I think the root of it for Michigan state is without Kenneth Walker, they just don't have the running game to take the pressure off Peyton Thorne. And, and where is he now? Obligatory Seahawks reference. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to spill my water again just to just to <laughs> see if we can cut that out. But I, I think much like you saw with Sean Clifford um, in the last couple of years, when the game is on his shoulders, he's just not that kind of quarterback. He's he's a perfectly fine college quarterback. Like we're going to talk about again, I'm sure, like we've talked about all season. But much like Clifford the last two years, Peyton Thorne, without that running game to take the pressure off, not just him, but the offensive line and the passing game as a whole um, just has obviously struggled. Like you said, he's 18 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. He's been sacked 15 times. Um, they, they have the weapons out wide, much like Penn state has had the last couple of years. They just aren't able to have that balance. I think you need when you don't have, when you need, you need to have that balance when you don't have that elite level quarterback or, yeah. um, and and they they Peyton Thorne is I, I don't want to beat it to death but he he's that game manager um, when he doesn't need to do everything when you've got that running game to rely on like they had with Kenneth Walker last year um, like a lot of quarterbacks is just much more effective and Jalen Berger you know perfectly fine averaging a little under five yards a carry Jarek Broussard averaging about the same um, but they have just over thirteen hundred yards of, of rushing this year. Whereas I think it was last year, Kenneth Walker closed in on close to 2000 all on his own. Um, yeah. And it, that opened up so much more of their offense. It, it allowed, it forced teams to play the run more. It forced um, their receivers and tight ends into more advantageous matchups. And I think what you've seen from Penn state's defense in the last month is even without um, Joey Porter, the last couple games, that secondary is really, really good. They've, figured out how to get to the quarterback, both from a defensive line and linebacker perspective. Um, and I think Michigan state still wants to run the ball. That's still the root of what they want to be, but they don't have that, that overpowering rushing game that they had a year ago. And I think that's going to allow Penn state to be more aggressive. Um, 
and not necessarily have to commit numbers to the running game like they would like they had to last year that allowed Peyton Thorne to get those one-on-one matchups. I think of, of a couple big time plays that um, I believe it was Reed that ma- made them um, in one-on-one coverage. And I don't think you're going to see a lot of that kind of um, that many situations like that for them because Penn State has showed now in the last couple of weeks that they can stop the run without committing seven, eight guys just to stop the run. Yeah, and then like even more importantly than being able to stop the run with just that front four, they've proven that that they can get into opposing backfields with just that front four, which is you know equally obviously that doesn't directly affect <clears throat> the uh, the run game because we're talking about passing downs. But when you can do that, it changes the entire complexion of how the opposing team can even call offense from the get go. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see. Penn State has held three straight opponents now to under 200 total offensive yards. I it'd be really cool to see them end the year and the regular season with four straight such performances. I wager we'd have to go back quite a while to find the last time that a Penn State defense did that. That's pretty, you know, that that's a pretty ridiculous statistic. Um, and, you know, as, as you were talking, I was thinking, like, what should Michigan State's strategy be? You know, knowing the level that Penn State's defense is playing at, I kind of think that. You know, I mean, think about the two games that Penn State lost this year. They lost, they got smacked by Michigan, who just ran it down their throats. And we, you know, we posit that was partially because Penn State probably devoted a few too many resources to the threat of J.J. McCarthy's arm, um, which as the season has played out, doesn't really pose that much of a threat. But, you know, against Ohio State, and against Ohio State, like, it took a rash of turnovers and then just big quick strike plays i still don't really feel like i know what the best strategy is for attacking this penn state defense i mean it's probably mainly try to keep the ball on the ground and then attack in play action deep over like that's probably the formula either way it's not something michigan state can do i don't think no i I think you know in I'd be curious to see this matchup again now because I think Penn State, like I was saying earlier, has figured out so much defensively especially. But I think Michigan as an offensive team is what is kind of Penn State's kryptonite. Um, Penn State's not great um, at linebacker up the middle. They obviously have two great linebackers in Jacobs and Abdul Carter. Um, But Michigan was able to take advantage of that weakness up the middle. Um, Some size issues, we'll say, up front on defense. Like you said, run it right down their throat. Ohio State just out talented them. You know, it was it was the Marvin Harrison and CJ Stroud show. If I were Mel Tucker in Michigan State, I think my game plan would be my best players are my receivers, Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed. And I know Penn State's strength is in the secondary, whether Joey Porter plays or not, but you got to find a way to get the ball in, the, in their hands. And I think because of that, I don't know if that's a, necessarily a winning formula because of how good Penn State's secondary is, but that's I think what Manny Diaz. Um, has to take away take those take their best players out of the game Jalen Berger's a, a perfectly fine running back he's not going to beat you Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed can and mm-hmm. I think that's it, it plays right to Penn State's strengths with Johnny Dixon Kalen King Jair Brown Jalen Reed um, Keaton Ellis um, we could keep going on and on we you guys all know the names but Michigan State's best players match up with Penn State's best players for the most part on defense, and they don't have the personnel to expose where Penn State's weak on defense. Right, yeah. Um, Curious, quick aside, uh, who was it? I think CBS Sports was the mock draft, had Joey Porter Jr. going number nine to the Detroit Lions. Just really quick aside, how high do you think Porter actually gets? This is a much better question for you than me. Uh, I'm, <laughs> every time I think I've got the NFL draft figured out or, or make a bold prediction, I, I end up hilariously wrong. Um, but from, from what I do know about and, and pick up from following people that do do this for a living is Porter checks all the boxes that you want in a, in a, in a cornerback. He's got the size, the strength, the length. Um, I'm not sure he has that elite level speed, which I think might hurt him. I'm, I'm very curious how he tests in the 40 and those sorts of things at the combine. Um, but he does so many things well. And I think other than maybe quarterback and maybe defensive end shutdown corner is the biggest need in the NFL. It's such a passing league. Yeah. 
that having a guy like him who we've seen it this year when he's been in takes away half the field. He's going to you know, get beat. Every cornerback does. Um, but he wins that, that matchup far more often than not. And um, so I, I don't know if top, top 10 seems really high. Cause like I said, I don't know if he necessarily ends up test, you know, having that great elite speed. Um, he's so, but he's so sound positionally. He's so strong. I think that makes up for a lot of that. Um, but I certainly think, you know, top 15, top 20 seems reasonable. He's been mock drafted there by anyone who does this for a living for the better part of a year now, it seems like. Yeah, I I I agree that he probably won't have the same top end speed. But when you're when you're a cornerback and you're a bit bigger and they trust that you could be more physical, usually that kind of helps you avoid that question so much. Um, but yeah, I, I think the main thing that'll work for him as far as his draft position is going to be that like there are only two quarterbacks who deserve to be drafted in the top 10 this year. Um, and even like Bryce young, like more questions have started to emerge now that he's not, he doesn't have this quite the same talent around him as normal. Um, and he hasn't really been quite as good this year. I, I think he's still, I think he and Stroud are still a virtual lock to go one, two, but, um, the fact that like, I, th- I think when all of a sudden like Will Levis, I, I just don't see him, actually ended up being a top 10 pick so the fact that there's really only two surefire seemingly quarterbacks i think will help him but um, we'll talk about that more as we get closer to it matt let's make some predictions about this game like i said uh penn state currently favored by 18 and a half points sp plus has this as a 41 27 penn state win so that's a 23 point um difference there for them I will let you go first. Of course you will. Um, I don't think this is, is a big blowout. I think, and with the exception of, I think if Penn state gets up early and can kind of, you know, dictate the, the nature of the game from the get go, much that they were able to do against Maryland. Um, I think Michigan state still got talent. They've still got the two really good wide receivers. Peyton Thorne isn't, isn't, um, whoever it was that Rutgers started a quarterback last week. He, he's, a, he's a talented Wimsett. guy. Or Garrett Wimsett. I, I think th- I think this plays out a lot like I mentioned earlier, the 2016 game, where Michigan State hangs around, um, maybe holds the lead for a period of time. We all get really nervous, and everyone's yelling at each other online. And then we look up in the end of the third quarter, and it's you know, 31-10, 28-6, something like that. And... I think 18 points feels about right. I I was thinking earlier today, something like 31, 10, 34, 14, something like that. Um, so obviously a, a, a slight cover. Um, it's, it's just, I have a really hard time seeing Penn state, not ultimately putting this game away and winning pretty comfortably because of what each team is playing for. And I think like we were just talking about the, the matchups Penn state is matches up so well with them especially Penn state defense versus the Michigan state offense. Yeah. I, so I actually am leaning more towards a blowout here. Actually. Um, I think just the vibe surrounding the Michigan state program right now are just so bad. Like obviously the, those players just got charged. Um, they've been out on suspension. The team has not been playing well coming off a double overtime loss to, uh, what many people think is probably the worst team in the East in Indiana. Um, there's that story that came out today about Mel Tucker getting his hundred thousand dollar bonus that he that is like supposed to be split among the staff that he decided to keep all for himself. Like there's just nothing is going right in East Lansing right now. Like every everything is off everywhere you look. And I I just I don't feel like the the drive for six, like obviously it's not where this team was hoping or expecting to be at this point in the year. Like, I don't think that's a big motivating factor right now for them. I, I just, I think this is, I I think Michigan state's going to turtle over and die in this game. Like, I just, I don't think this is a good spot for them. Um, I could, I think you said that and not me (laughs) because I, because you and I both know, and like I mentioned earlier, the the green wall is not behind me. We've got the land grant trophy behind me now that, um, my lovely wife is a, a Michigan State fan. Um, we have not watched much Michigan State football this year because well, they don't really as, play football. So, as, yeah. as, as usually happens when Michigan State is struggling, I'm I'm like this with with most Penn State and, and my favorite teams too. When they're struggling, I don't want to watch them. So we have <laughs> we have turned off a lot of Michigan State football this year. Um, but if, if I had said that, 
and and it and especially if it plays out that way, um, Matt sleeps on the couch for the week is very much in play. And you know the the fact that we Matt Flip and I discussed, or Craig and I discussed this um, last week, how um, I was telling about how my wife does not listen to this podcast, so I could say whatever I want. We I almost started telling the story of um, your wife. <laughs> Like you walking into the home and just hearing your voice playing as you walked in, which <laughs> yes. is fantastic. Well, and and so you know, you know, cat out of the bag. My wife and I are expecting our first child in May, and so I, I walk into the house last week, and, and I hear. I think it was my own voice, um, but it was it was the podcast that Nick and I did um, after the Maryland game. And um, my, my wife wants wants the baby to to get to know um, Uncle Nick's voice and Uncle Flip's voice. Um, Dad has not talked to Uncle Bill or Uncle Craig recently, but uh, we'll have to get them on so so baby can learn their voices. It was, it was a very out of body experience walking in, first hearing my voice. I turn the corner and then you know she's she's streaming it on off of YouTube. <laughs> there I am. Um, so I, I am sure sometime in the next you know seventy two hours or so. Um, 48 hours, whatever it is before the game. Um, portions of this will be, will be replayed in my home. And um, I'm, I'm choosing my words very carefully about how I speak about the Spartans. You can, you can let her know to you. you she, you can relay any messages she has for me um, because yes, I think the Spartans are going to just be left in a tattered carcass on the field in this one. Um, I think, I think Penn state's going to win this something like 48 to seven. Um, 42 like i just i I don't think i like i said i I think vibes are horrible um around that spartans program right now i think penn state um i think you know we talk a lot about how james franklin understands optics um and i think on the one hand like like i said michigan state they michigan beat michigan state 29 to 7 you can bet that james franklin would like to do better against the spartans than jim harbaugh did um, and then also, you know, I'm James Franklin and this program, like they want that New Year's six bull bid. And they know that the more they are able to throw the hammer down this weekend, the more their chances will improve at being able to do that. Um, so I, I think there is, you know, I think they're going to take this game, you know, still pretty seriously. Like they, there's the more they can score this week, the more they can build their case because, you know, like we said, just lack of a signature win, just not haven't had the opportunities to do that, all that stuff. Um, and of course, the chance to bring home the beautiful, incomparable, difficult to lift Land Grant Trophy, which actually we will talk about the Land Grant Trophy in just a second. First, though, before we get to that, I want to I want to add in the, the thing I added to our outline here, and that's Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford will be playing his final game um, in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. Obviously, they'll still have the bowl game coming, so not his final game as a Nittany Lion just yet. But we'll be playing his final game um, in Beaver Stadium this Saturday against, you know, like we said, probably not a full, surely not a full house. But there, there'll be some people there going for a 10 win season. It's not nothing. It won't be empty. Um, he has faced a lot of criticism, not only this year, but over the last few years. And, you know, such is the such is always the case with a longtime quarterback for a team, you know, that had two two rough years. Um, especially when you you know when you start off with an 11 win season and a near six win with the Cotton Bowl, when you don't replicate that in the following years, like there's always going to be calls for your job and whatnot. And you know it doesn't help that Will Levis went to Kentucky and has had you know reasonable success. I think we've been pretty forthright on. Like I I I still don't think right now. Like I'm not sure Will Levis win a, a competition with Sean Clifford here at Penn State right now. Like I I. It's up in the air for sure. But um, and then this year, obviously, with the arrival of five star freshman Drew Aller, uh, you know, backup quarterback is always the most popular position on the team, always the most popular player, especially so when it's the kid that's supposed to you know be the savior for, of your program and be your um, be your Trevor Lawrence, you know, to make that Clemson comparison that we've often made. Um, <clears throat> he's dealt with a lot. He, um, you know, he's going to end his Penn State career as the record holder for pretty much every every quarterback stat you can have for the Nittany Lions. He's very high up on the list of most, if not all, of the Big Ten stats for quarterbacks in general. And while it hasn't always been perfect, I I, I think we've I think we're lucky to have had Sean Clifford leading this team for the last four years. Yeah, I think um obviously with it being senior week in his last home game, that's there's been a lot written and discussed about it. And Franklin was asked about it on Tuesday. 
Um, I think Clifford will even met with the media this week. Um, I've always been fascinated, um, especially these last couple of years, I think, where you um, see the experience and just the, the age and maturity of him come through when he talks. I think he's very, and Franklin alluded to this um, on Tuesday, that he's very self-aware, which um, I, I think in this case is a, is a huge positive. I think he's um, not naive to the complicated relationship that he has um, the complicated um, legacy that he's leaving with the program. Um, but he's in, you know, if he wins on Saturday, that's two 10 win seasons as the starting quarterback um, two and two against Michigan um, three and one against Michigan state. Um, some, some great comebacks, you know, the comeback against Purdue this year, obviously to start the season. Um, it's, I don't want to say there's more good than bad because I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but there's been a lot of good. Um, and um, I was just telling someone over the weekend, um, he, he committed to Penn State before his junior year in high school. So he's a guy that's been around the program for seven or eight years now, it feels like. Um, he's obviously been on campus for six. So um, it's just, it's, it, it really is kind of a, a, a weird conversation to be having that he that this is kind of it for him a guy who like you said is going to have his name all over the record books in in part due to um a four-year starting um run just the volume yeah he gets that run because of of you know he's had the four years of starter because he's been been the best option um and and we've been through that time and time again we don't have the conversation but um i i think he he mentioned this a couple weeks ago i think it's it's time for everyone to move on um, I, I'm fascinated to see what he does, whether it's on the field, off the field. Obviously, he has his um, name, image, and likeness um, company that he and his brother have started. Um, and teaser, I think Bill's actually going to be speaking with someone connected to the the company um, next week uh, on the podcast. Um, I think he's a guy that's um, you know has, has represented. I think that the best thing you can say about him, he's represented Penn State the way I think we would all hope that. Penn State starting quarterback would represent the program in the university. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the biggest compliments you can give give anyone um, in his position that they've under, been under the microscope the way he has. Um, very rarely has he said or done the wrong thing, um, football performance aside. Um, I think he's, when you look at the way I think a lot of Penn State fans think about the program and um, – you know, being more than just wins and losses, I think he embodies that in a lot of a lot of really positive ways. Yeah, and you know, on the flip side of that, like Penn State fans, I would not say are known for being the most patient bunch. Um, I mean, fans in general, college football fans in general, typically aren't. But when you consider, you know, the fact that probably half of Penn State fans are Philadelphia fans at the same time, you know, it all kind of makes sense. And it, it would have been very easy for him to, um not you know remain as as positive and as you know willing to speak um as he has been like he's always been he's always been willing to talk to the media he's always owned up to his faults his mistakes and um you know we've seen people in this state like not be able to do that like i he turned it around really well but like alec bohm for like for the philadelphia phillies like had that famous like i effing hate this place like caught on camera like like there's it, it's very easy to, very easy to cave to what Clifford has had to deal with and he like like I laid out like he's dealt with more than most college athletes typically have to deal with um just you know due to the fact of how long he's how long he's been here and then the circumstances of his backups and all that stuff so um but like in the end like is Penn State in position to have a 10 win season right now if Drew Aller was starting week one. Probably not. Like, do they win that Purdue game? I don't know. Like there's, it's, it's obviously it's impossible to say for sure, but like, I, like I know Sean Clifford, he's not far from perfect. He um, certainly has his faults, but he's been, I mean, he's a college quarterback. Like there, unless you are a truly, truly elite college quarterback, like this is what it looks like. And it's Penn state, I think has, benefited from having him and i think most importantly the guys in the room behind him right now whether it be aller or bo Prabula or christian veyer i think they you know going forward in their careers they are going to be better for the fact that they were with sean clifford in that room because for clifford's faults you know for the things he can't do athletically um or with his arm like 
he there is no doubting that he is a very smart football player. Like the things he has learned about how to read coverages, how to call audibles, like all that stuff, just how to how to take control of an offense. Like those are things that you can pass down. You can't pass down arm talent to somebody. You can pass down how to dissect a game and how to lead a team. And I, those are the qualities that, um, you know, we expect Gerard to be the starting quarterback next year. Those are the things that he is going to impart and has imparted on Aller that are going to make him better and going to make the program better. Um, and then of course, like you said, all the off field things, like he's been a great ambassador for the program. The, um, his NIL company is, I, you know, I, I'd be really happy for Clifford if he decided to go, you know, try to stick, stick around on an NFL roster on a practice squad or go up to the CFL or XFL or whatever it is he decides to do if he wants to keep playing. But I think he also has shown that he, I think he has the chops to be a, you know, be a shrewd businessman in, you know, in real life or away from football, like the rest of us are. Um, so I, I think he has nothing but nothing but the best ahead of him. And I, I'm grateful for the time that he has spent with us. Completely agree. And I think just one more thing to add to that is, um, you know, he was part of the group earlier in the year that um, is advocating for um, more of a say for players in, in matters of college football, um, whether yeah. that's financial or how the game is run and, you know, schedules and playoff, you know, um, participation and things like that. Um, I think he, like, like James Franklin said, he has a very keen self-awareness of what, what he, what he is, I think both as a, as a player and as a person and, and the power that being the starting quarterback at Penn state has to, um, affect change. And I think for the most part, it's been, he's used that in a very positive way. And I think he'll continue to do that. I think he's, he's obviously a very bright guy. And, um, you know, like Franklin said on Tuesday, he's, he's taken full advantage of, of the college football experience and the Penn state experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll talk more about Clifford, you know, once the season officially comes to a close, as well as the other guys who are playing their final game, um, right. Final regular season game this week, such as, uh, Jair Brown and, uh, PJ Mustafer and a whole host of others. Well, we will get to them, but you know, obviously Clifford is the probably the preeminent face among that group just for how long he's been here. Um, but Matt, before we get out of here, let's end this on a more uh, fun note. I would like to know what part of the illustrious Land Grant Trophy is your favorite. And it's funny, actually, I saw um, our friend Matt Brown, formerly of um, SB Nation, Land Grant Holy Land, now of Extra Points, subscribe to his uh, newsletter if you don't already. Um, but he was positing. He's like, I wonder how difficult it would be to build the land grant trophy. And I wish that our articles were still alive. Cause I was like, listen, man, like our, we, we, we've done this multiple times. Uh, coach has built this out of candy. He's built it out of, um, he's built it for real. He built it out of what? Like Legos one year. Like he's done it all. It, it can be done. That's one of my great regrets in, in kind of how the, the website shut down was that we didn't have enough foresight to in some capacity save some of those articles. I know we tweeted a bunch of them out, but yeah. Um, when Jason it, maybe, pulled the plug maybe on the using server, the Wayback that machine was, would work. I don't know. I don't think so. Cause I mean, the server's gone, you know, it's, and I, I remember asking Jason about this at one point, um, I think before the season started, cause we were trying to find an old article and um, it is, it is no longer with us. So um, maybe, maybe coach save some of this, or maybe we have some, some photo documentation, but I had the same thought when I saw Matt's tweet that, um, not only did the coach build it a couple of times, but um, my buddies and I built it a, a not, not nearly the, the lifelike replica that, that coach did, but um, we built it out of an old bathroom vanity. <laughs> and <it> was, <laughs> and, and this, the, the similarity in appearance that we were able to achieve with just a simple rectangular box, I think is, is a testament to, the, the forward-thinking design that former Michigan State mm. um, head coach and really Spartan legend George Perlis had when he came up with the idea for for the land-grant trophy back you know, over 30 years ago now. It's it's a true, it's a work of architectural mastery, is how, is how I'll put it. Um, you know, for me, for me I, my favorite, my favorite part of it, and there's a lot to love about it, I love the fact that there are two human-like statues <laughs> within the same trophy. Like there's the Spartan statue right next to the Nittany Lion statue. But then on top, you have the 
literally it's like the statue you get for winning your eight-year-old soccer tournament like it's it i why in the world was there this thought that there need to be two humanoid structures within the same trophy it's it's no notes it's perfect no i i I, i'm ranking my favorite part so my i think you touched on one indirectly but just the random guy on top um just (laughs) because um second is it has shelves (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is like, like like the home ec project gone awry but the shelf that the spartan statue and the nitty lion statue are on like it just just protruding there from the side um you know define physics in some way to, that those things even stay on i don't even want to know what sort of adhesive they use at this point to keep that on there but by far the, the my favorite part is just the sheer size of this thing it's so um, i was good. just telling telling a buddy earlier today as the athletic had a great article audrey snyder wrote about um the origins of the trophy and the they talk to another um, daughters of the man who's since passed away um it's a a local trophy shop in east lansing that still does a lot of um, awards and whatnot for michigan state um that george perlis went to and so they interviewed the, his the gentleman's two daughters and they were just talking about the sheer size of it and so it led me to, to reach out to a friend who's a michigan state fan and um mentioned that in in my four years uh, in the in the blue band i had the, the distinct honor of being you know six ten twenty feet away from this this beautiful thing the sheer size of it I, I don't even know if you can really process it until you see it in person it is enormous um if, if you are watching on youtube you look over my shoulder and there, there are two players holding it and I think they need to. I don't think this is like a one-man job. You've seen a little bit, yeah. but it's, you know, the guy's like, you have to give it like a bear hug to, to carry <laughs> it yourself. Um, just the, the it's so unique. And it, the, the 180 this has done, I think, at least among, you know, online Penn State fans and college football Twitter as a whole, um, from being this ugly, you know, ugly thing that no one wants to, the beauty in its ugliness and kind of this, this renaissance of, of, of love for it is, is, is really special. Let's be honest. It's the exact kind of thing that like when, when Twitter like really started blowing up essentially like, um, and this was always kind of like my personal like aesthetic has always been like, I love things that are like, like, like you should see my closet of the polos I wear to golf. Like I wear the most colorful, like I've, I've got a, a golf my golf bag is blue with like green flowers all over i have a bright pink and purple tat like i'm all over the place with that aesthetic so like this is like things that like objectively are ugly but like that's why they're cool like i feel like when twitter really exploded like that's the exact shit like that's the mindset that everyone like that's things like the sickos committee like like things like no 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 things aren't like things that are really bad no they're actually awesome and like that's what this that's what this is and it's well, it's so it's unique a, it's which great. i think yeah. is what you're saying um yeah it's part of audrey's story in the athletic they um i can't remember who it was that she quoted but um Penn State and Michigan State um, personnel went to the Big Ten, I think it was 2009 maybe, 2011, something like that, to to keep a trophy between Michigan State and Penn State, um, but to replace our beloved land-grant trophy. And the proposal was was the Lincoln Trophy. It was going to be like an exaggerated um, Abraham Lincoln top hat because obviously he's the one who signed the land-grant act in 1860-something. Um but as luck would have it for us that several years before, just a couple years before, um, Northwestern and Illinois had retired their um, Tomahawk trophy for obvious reasons um, and started playing for the Land of Lincoln trophy, which, of course, had Lincoln's hat. So the 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 brainchild quickly died out and we are left still, you know, 30 years, almost 30 years from Penn State's first year in the Big Ten in 1993 playing for and now um, it's never leaving. No, and, and like you said, it's it's done this this it has had this renaissance of of beauty um, because it is so unique and massive. Uh, like if if it was ever going to be replaced, though, like if it was literally just Lincoln's hat, like a wearable trophy, I'm I'm down with that. Like I'm that, cool that with would, that. That wouldn't be bad. That, that, yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine the uh, the post game celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing would not survive. Um, Matt, I think it's about time we get out of here. Any final thoughts on this game or anything else? No, I'm I'm 
I'm, I'm excited. I feel like we're getting, we're going to have some chaos this weekend and next weekend with championship week. And I'm not sure if I'll, if you and I have a chance to talk before um, championship week next week, but I, I'm excited. I think this, this whole season has felt like it's kind of building towards a little bit of, of fun and, you know, a little bit out of the ordinary for college football. You see it with, you know, some of the teams that are lurking around the, the top four of the playoff, but I think we're going to get some, some fun results around the top of the polls and, and among the top teams in the next couple of weeks that I think are really going to shake things up that um, I think, you know, from a Penn state perspective are probably beneficial as far as getting to, to a bigger bowl game. So I'm, I'm excited to sit back and take a couple of days off, watch a bunch of football and hopefully um, get some of that great college football chaos that we love. Yeah. With, with the exception of the sec, a, a nice chaotic weekend, definitely um, next two weekends, definitely behooves Penn state here for sure. Um, starting with, you know, Let's go Oregon State. Let's start it off strong, Beavers. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, we will be back next week, of course, to talk about the aftermath of Penn State and Michigan State. As always, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure you do so on your podcast platform of choice. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube where you can see all of the different images in Matt's background. Um, you can see me wear the same outfit three podcasts in a row, and you can watch Matt spill in real time. You won't see the spill but you will see the reaction and that is almost as good. Um, but that's going to do it for us here today for myself, Nick Pollock, and my co-host Matt DeBear. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Go state.